out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing. There is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other does make sense. Hi everyone. Did I speak with, yes you guessed it, yet another new friend. This time it is executive and recovery coach and business owner David Collins. David is a founding member of both the Foundation Clinic, which is a rehab center in Johannesburg, and a company called UAC. David lives and operates from Johannesburg. It is thanks to Nikki, a friend of mine and colleague of David's, who suggested we get together to do this recording. Nikki is also due to chat with us, and I hope to get her to sit down for us soon. We only managed to get together on a Saturday afternoon after David had been training for you act the whole day. I expected him to be exhausted, but his energy and passion were amazing. We met in a restaurant in Clove Street, so the sound quality is not up to scratch, but we had to work with what we had. This podcast is supported by the first layer, the 12-step workbook on working through the 12 steps in any addiction in 21 sessions. There is also a 24-day step coaching and counseling program available based on the first layer. For more information in this regard, go to www.freddy.org.za and click through from the notices at the right of the homepage. This is David's story. Sit back and enjoy. David, good afternoon. Welcome to Meet Me in the Field. Thank you for having me. You sound British, am I correct? I am. And do you live in South Africa? I stay in Johannesburg. I came out here in 1976 with my parents. And then I went back to the UK in 1986, and then I returned in 94 after the elections. Aha. And you still keep the accent. Uh, it sounds like it. Well, yeah. yeah. Eng- English people think I'm South African, and South African people <laughs> think I'm English. So I've always been a bit lost. <laughs> Identity crisis. Yeah. So you are currently in Cape Town doing a training training yeah I'm recovery a coaching training for your for your own company or company that you're a part of so i'm the founder of the ubuntu addiction community trust ubuntu addiction community trust yeah awesome it's a public benefit organization it's a section 18a trust which is uh, has a mandate to do three things is to train people to empower people that they can go off and provide treatment within their communities. Awesome. So that is a a way, if I understand you correctly, to take addiction recovery treatment, take it to the masses without making it sound derogatory, to make it more accessible to people who would normally not be able to access treatment because of the huge expense involved. Am I correct? You are correct. Fantastic. So that's a wonderful initiative. How did you get to it? How did you find it? Well, I went through my own recovery journey, yeah, where um, I ended up in a, on a long journey on the way down. Yeah. <laughs> and at the, and a, and that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, and then at the bottom I found grace and I surrendered. And uh, when I decided to change my life, there was a, I had a spiritual awakening. I had awesome. a white light experience. So it wasn't and a gradual... Thing for you at all it was a well the demise was gradual then I had this white light experience and the way that I interpreted that white light experience I think a lot of people would have thought I was psychotic and I was suffering from mental illness um, I don't believe that I think I was going through a transformation 
and uh, because I'd said I was going to change so many times before, when I did transform, nobody believed me. Ah. Yeah. So recovery for me has been about recovering everything that my addiction took from me. I see addiction as robbing you from the light. Yes. Yeah. Made all the promises and yeah. delivered nothing. And and uh, recovery's recovering everything back. And it's taken me a long time to recover my dignity and my self-esteem. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that's why I do it. Awesome. How long have you been clean now? So I've been in recovery yeah, for long-term recovery since the 13th of November 1996. Oh, cool. Wow. Okay. However, after 15 years of complete abstinence, I started drinking again. Okay. okay. And then uh, I went back into my own treatment center after 17 years because uh, my now ex-wife wanted to take my son away ah yeah and uh, not that there were any kind of consequences but because there was a whole lot of fear that I've gone from I was going to go back to the crack and heroin ah yeah and uh, very my, real fear yeah very real fear yeah. yeah and my other two children Jack and Sam were taken away and put in foster care back mm -hmm. in 96 okay. um, and the world I was living in 1996 was very different from the world I was living in uh, 2014 when I came out of the facility not that I, I needed treatment but I needed it f to make a kind of a statement yes. yeah to uh, because I was a 48-year-old man and I was provide, fulfilling all my roles. The consequences weren't there like mm. they were when I was smoking yeah. crack and heroin when my kids needed to be taken away. Yes. Yeah. Many years later I'm providing, I'm a productive member of society, I'm a good community citizen, I'm Buying doing all, all that stuff. <laughs> well, taxes is another story. <laughs> because uh, being entrepreneurial and running your own treatment center it becomes very very difficult ah. because the treatment center world any Tom Dick and Harry thinks they can open up a facility and if we take uh, recovery back to the uh, start of the 12-step movement there were no treatment centers that had 12-step programs in them what they did have is they had uh, places that would hold and dry out alcoholics yes. yeah and the 12-step program is really for post-treatment yeah or people who can't afford treatment or people who really just want to not drink anymore so the majority of, pe of people in the early days of 12-step programs really didn't want to go back to drinking yeah. they were so desperate like going back to drinking was not a choice when the mental health industry and 12-step uh, programs and the success of AA and we acknowledged alcoholism as a disease it changed the culture of the environment yes. and then we have a whole lot of treatment centers now that have taken on a 12-step program and they send a whole lot of people that don't want to be at meetings to meetings to try and digest the 12 steps which has really impacted the culture and the success of 12-step programs so now the belief is you can't get well unless you go to a fancy treatment yes. center which is rubbish you know you yeah. can get very well 
So what I'm really interested in doing is going around to communities that think that they can't get well because they haven't got a rehab. Ah. And I really want to empower communities and individuals on what we call recovery capital. And recovery capital are the resources, external and internal resources available to someone when they want to change their behavior. So there are lots of times when addicts want to change their life, yeah? And when that crisis happens, there's often very little resources to be there for that. And that's one of the challenges that we have. So we're a global organization that uh, teaches the spirit of Ubuntu, which for us basically means you leave no one behind. And you I'm offer, smiling, that's beautiful. Yeah, and and, and, and uh, you offer recovery to everyone, because everyone's impacted. Yes. So we have schools programs, we have addiction programs, and we have recovery programs, and everything is surrounded in a culture of spirituality. Wonderful. And a culture of spirituality is living with spiritual principles, as opposed to religious dogma. Yes. Yeah. So an addiction treatment in South Africa has moved from a moral kind of build a relationship with Jesus or something that uh, then you'll get get well to the medical model. And we're now moving beyond that. You're not your diagnosis, you're not your ADD, your ADHD, your bipolar, your depression, your dual diagnosis. What you are is living in a space of wellness. And what does wellness mean for you? Ah. What do you want your recovery to look like? Okay. What is it that you want? So, so we're much more interested in trying to empower people and individuals to what their recovery looks like for them, because everyone deserves recovery, and, and to kind of prepare people for treatment if that's what they want. And we, what we really try and do as a treatment facility is to do everything in our power to not admit the patient. Okay. <laughs> no wonder you, you, okay, you gave so that weird smile. That was, yeah. Okay, so, so as a business, as a public benefit organization, it's difficult. So that's, that's why the financial, you get a much better return on income, to put it rawly, yeah. If when a patient goes into treatment, they want to be there. Yeah. There's nothing worse than throwing good money after somebody who doesn't want treatment. Yes. And because there's so much stigma based around addiction and people, individuals and mental health in general, people don't seek treatment. So families and communities get hooked in a spiral of going down because nobody knows what to do. So we haven't got money for treatment, you have to go to treatment, there isn't a treatment facility here, it's because of my demographic, I don't deserve it, and that lie needs to be broken. So uh, little podcasts like this are all part of stitching Absolutely. everything together and rebuilding communities and people. Because um, the drug laws and the war on drugs have shattered communities and created mm. so much harm for everyone. So, and the people that are being harmed the most aren't the addicts, the drug addicts, it's their families and communities mm. around them because of the laws that have been set in the 30s. 
So the World Health Organization and the United Nations really want to adopt more of a medical model and to uh, decriminalize and I would say let's legalize all drugs. Ah, uh, it was Portugal that, that followed that model, am I so correct? Yeah, so, so Portugal around 2000 they decriminalized it, they haven't legalized okay. it, which is different. Okay. So, so instead of punishing people with jail, you send them off and educate them and go into a treatment center. Now a treatment center or a clinic, the word clinic comes from French and it means place of bedside learning. So a clinic should be not treating patients but rather see their patients as students that are coming in to learn, okay. to learn about recovery. Yeah. Yeah? So what we do at the Foundation Clinic, what we measure success in is when a client comes in, our job is to orientate them around a culture of recovery. Okay. Yeah. So we let them know what resources are available to them, we teach them, what are they going to do when they leave treatment, we're working with the family and to kind of look at all the other types of factors that lead people to want to take drugs which to them at the time is a solution. Yeah. You know? The only solution. The only solution. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a very good solution, it works. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it really does work. The, uh, and and what, what happens is when the user first uses, they fall in love and they've found the solution. Mm. The sad part is the solution stops working yes. and the person in a desperate attempt keeps going back to... So it's because just they don't like, know what else. They don't know yes. what else. So, it's, so it's, it should be viewed rather as a... As a romantic relationship where the person has fallen in love yeah. with someone and everyone around them says that's a bad idea you shouldn't fall in love with that person yeah. but if you've ever come across someone who's fallen in love with someone they weren't meant to you can talk till you're blue in the face mm. that person believes so there's the spell of falling in love which which and the the, the chemistry that happens I you love know? that analogy yeah, so the person gets caught into an abusive relationship and it's like battered wife syndrome. Yeah. You keep going back Absolutely. and back and the family's desperate and when you're away from it, the love for your batterer, the craving is so strong that you keep going back and that's the challenge. Yeah. So you're also the one of the founders or the founder of the Foundation Clinic. Mm. They're in... Johannesburg somewhere. Johannesburg, we, yeah. We're in Johannesburg, are we? In uh, Oakland's. Oakland's. Oakland's, near Rosebank. Okay. Yeah? So we run a 24-bed facility there. We're licensed with the Department of Social Development and the Department of Health. We have detox and uh, residential treatment. We have integration and we tailor make our programs for our clients to lock them in to a culture of recovery. I really like that. Yeah, and, and we measure success, not whether they're using or not, but how long they remain engaged and how long they keep trying. Because yeah. the re research from Voices and Faces of Recovery in Australia did a research from people with, uh, in long-term recovery 
they found that the majority of people in their first year had a couple of ups and downs, but eventually they got it. Yeah. And so we as community and society must start to understand the bumpy journey yes. yeah, and prepare the families and mm. the communities for that. And when somebody does have an oopsie-daisy, the family and everyone else knows how to look after yeah. themselves as opposed to running around in headless chickens mm -hmm. and panicking and throwing more money at a treatment center to go over the same stuff again. I'm going to send this specific podcast to lots of people <laughs> <laughs> because you're saying things that make so much sense. And I'm a counselor and I, and I work for, my, for myself and I've never been in a treatment center milieu. So in a way I'm very much a one-man show nearly as an island so I don't have this kind of this connection with other counselors and I haven't learned from from other counselors really so in the beginning of my counseling journey I, I really panicked when when clients didn't get it and I was questioning myself and wondering what am I doing wrong and I actually ended up at Codependence Anonymous <laughs> why am I so bloody codependent and well, why are they a reflection on me and through personal growth and also through codependent and I'm far more relaxed about people who don't get it immediately. Just stay engaged. Stay engaged. Just, just, how do they say in meetings, keep coming back? Are you committed to change? Yes, I am. Are you co continuing engaging with, with the process of change? Yes, I am. Then let's continue to work. Well, that's, that's why recovery should be looked at something that you learn and practice. I really like that. Yeah, it's, that it's, not, a, it's not a... It's not binary, yeah. Yeah, because uh, a lot of uh, I mean, addiction is a personality. Yeah, so it's obsessive compulsive. It's instant gratification. It's filled with fear. And whether you're addicted mm. to a substance or addicted to a human or addicted yeah. to yeah, whatever, whatever. Yeah. When you're with that, whatever it is, everything's good. Yeah. yeah? It's traumatic when you're not with it. So everyone wants to stop using drugs when they're high. You know? Like, of course you talk about not using when you're, uh, when you're high. It's, it's when you're not high that it's traumatic. So what do you talk about? Yeah. Like, what kind of language do you use? How yes. do you speak? You know? So there's a real tra uh, traumatic change that happens to people. Yeah. And, and uh, people transform. So if you imagine, if you imagine you, you send your grubby little addict into a treatment center and they come out as a butterfly, yeah, they transform <laughs> yeah. and then they go back to the family. Yeah, the family's a yeah. bunch of caterpillars and yeah. now who's this butterfly in the room? Yeah. I love that analogy as well. We don't want a butterfly. <laughs> we, we wanted to send you a caterpillar that didn't, yeah. that stopped its behavior. Absolutely. Yeah. I really like the, the, the idea of and a family coming into recovery. Let me just stay with the butterfly uh, scenario mm. for a second. Because what happens is when that butterfly goes off and uses, he doesn't use as a caterpillar. He uses as a butterfly. And he's using with a different psyche. Yeah. Yeah? And he knows that there, there's an option and it doesn't have to be like this. Yeah. You know? I'm not saying it makes it easier, if anything, it makes it harder. So we measure success in treatment as can we break the fantasy around someone's using. Yeah. So the boyfriend you're in love with is actually very abusive and it doesn't have to be like that. 
there are men yeah. out there that will love you and care for you and nurture you and Absolutely. beyond your wildest dreams. Learn to love yourself enough so that you want to attract the loving boyfriend instead of the abusive one. That's that, that, that's the way I, I, I think of it. And he gets complex because what will happen in the in the in this in this scenario that we're talking about relationship, if the person doesn't do the internal spiritual work that they need to do, yeah, yeah, all that'll happen is they'll get involved into another relationship exactly. that will force that person to have to look at it. Yeah. So for me, I believe addiction is God's gift from Him to teach us how to get back. I also suffer from a process addiction. I'm a sex addict as well. Now, there's one specific person in our group who always says beautifully about the fact that he kept on praying and praying and praying and praying and praying for God to remove his addiction. And it never happened. And he started hating God and he started hating the whole religious concept. Because this God that is all, empower, all, all powerful just didn't remove his addiction. And now in recovery for a few years, he realized that God didn't remove his addiction because he needed to go on this journey of change, of self-discovery, of, of becoming the, the butterfly. And I really like that. It, 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 it's such a beautiful analogy. So, are you also, you're obviously a recovery coach. And are you also a counselor? Not. Okay. So I don't counsel, I coach. Okay. And, um, how I came into coaching was, so I went to Johannesburg and I got a job there and I started working and on the side I started this rehab so I was doing lots of 12 step meetings and I was very addicted to the fellowship mm -hmm. better, but uh, at least I was clean and um, I then started this treatment center some other people and we did the typical Minnesota model 12 step type CBT. treatment yeah. well CBT wasn't really flavor of the month thing. okay yeah um, and uh, CBT came along a lot later. Okay. Yeah. But uh, that's what we did. And then around 2007, I'd, um, I'd uh, done some men's work. Yeah. I did some uh, yeah, looking at uh, men's stuff, Mankind Project. Mankind Project. Yeah. I hear such good things about Mankind. Yeah. Oh, wow. And what that taught me was, well, two things. One, it, remind, it, it taught me that uh, a lot of my recovery was based in shame. Ah, yeah. yes. Like I've done so bad and I have to go to meetings and I have to do this yeah. because... So what that work started to help me is to mature and to get out of the shame and to kind of grow up more and to take responsibility for yeah. myself, my life and my career. I met a whole lot of people and I said, what do you do? And they said, they're life coaches. I said, oh, what's a life coach? And they said, well, you kind of sit down and talk to someone about their life. And I said, well, shit, I do that all the time for free <laughs> as a sponsor. And I said, how much do you get paid? And they said, 1,500 grand an hour. And I said, oh, I want that career. So I was working in banking at JP Morgan. Oh, my word. And, uh, and so I was running this rehab on the side as a 12-step type of do-good uh, give back uh, um, yeah. passion yeah? and uh, JP Morgan said to me uh, David we're not sure what you do but you know you're doing good stuff here's a hundred thousand rand for a trust for a, oh wow yeah but you have to set it up like this you have to and then KPMG 
charged us 70,000 rand to set up the trust. Okay. So that's the, that's, that's the, and then at the time when I was thinking, well, if you had 100,000 rand and you put five people in treatment, the very best you're going to get is three people. Yes, say 60%. I would that is definitely a very, very positive scenario. You yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know. But, yeah. even, but, even, but, but then but what let, I... Let's cling to the hope. Well, no, let's, let's rather not do that. Let's rather train 20 people ah. at 5,000 each in the skill of recovery coaching that have already shown a commitment to recovery. Yeah. So how can we build a school where we, we uh, take someone's trauma and we turn that into an asset that they can go and help others yeah nice so 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 that's another way so how can you take traumatized people and teach them to be professionals yeah. and to behave in a professional ethical way because what i was noticing with all there's a lot of dysfunction running around 12-step fellowship meetings yeah? mm. and there's a lot of naivety and people like you know, sponsors should be teaching people the steps. They shouldn't be giving marriage advice and business advice and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And, and it's chaotic. And that's the nature of, yeah. of that community. Anyway, I went and did this. I thought, I need to leave JP Morgan. I want to go and become an executive coach. And I went and got trained in coactive coaching. Yeah. Okay. Spent 100,000 Rand uh, in an American program to learn how to be an executive coach. And while I was on that training, I suddenly thought, shit, this would be really good for our clients in the rehab. And I thought, shit, well, I'm gonna become a recovery coach. What's a recovery coach? And I Googled recovery coach, and there were two people that came up. One was William White in Chicago, who's a researcher, who's been researching the AA Fellowship and all okay. that stuff. And he talks about peer recovery coaching. And Alida Schleil, or somebody in, uh, from Crossroads Recovery in, in the States. Okay. And it, when I read through her stuff, it felt like that was very kind of CODA stuff or Al-Anon stuff. And then I started my own model and training with uh, another guy called Anthony Rogers who set up the Foundation for Recovery Coaches, he went over to the UK. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been developing this work since then. Awesome. So I've been doing executive coaching on the one side, then recovery coaching, and recovery coaching sits in the place of wellness. So it's not in the moral world, it's not in the treatment world, it's in the place of wellness. Awesome. And we see our clients as kind of naturally creative, resourceful and whole, whether they're using or not. You know, wherever they are, we can have a conversation with them to start the journey to yeah. move forward. And we measure success in the way that we can engage with our clients and build relationship. So if someone's on the street shooting heroin and spreading you know, blood-borne diseases, yeah, and they come in and we get them onto a methadone program, that is progress. It's part of harm reduction, it's not abstinence. Mm. Yeah. Obviously we'd like to, to, for our client if they want to go there, but you start the process. Yes. Any yeah. progress is progress. Yeah, 
and because of the nature of the, the system, the systemic side of the, the condition, the addict will go into a treatment centre and see a doctor, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a social worker, and the family will maybe get one, one session here or there. And the family's really neglected. So uh, a lot of recovery coaching can work with family members to assist them in the trans their transition from a culture so how they can learn how to transition out of their role in, within the culture of addiction. Yes. Yeah. Very important, I think. And I think it, it's wonderful. It, 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 it's, in, it's incredibly important yeah. and because we don't spend more time doing this and supporting this, we have Thank such you. poor success rate because everyone's kind of blaming and pointing their fingers. You know? So when uh, I went back into treatment in 2017, I had kind of been set up in a role of David's drinking, all our problems are because of him. You know? Which really wasn't the case. You know? um, in fact, my life had really kind of improved. Yeah. So I started to see the blindness okay. that people were having to this, you know. You know, yes, and you're not using, but yeah, yeah. And uh, there's that saying that goes, "Clean time's good, but recovery's better." <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just want to say that again: clean time's good, but recovery's better. Yeah. You know. Also, responses and, and, and clients as well. All you've lost was your days. You haven't lost the knowledge and the experience and everything. Um, no. Let, let's pick up where we, where we left off and, 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 and process what happened and carry on. It's not the end of the world. And, it's, and, and then that becomes difficult in a community because different people with different clean time gives you status. Yeah. So like in a church or something, there's always status yeah. and hierarchy. And, and so what happened for me was I knew that I was in trouble spiritually, yeah, and I knew that the fellowships were. It's like, you know, I can't go back to being a naive newcomer. Like I just like, you know, once you've lost your virginity, you can't go back <laughs> to being a virgin. <laughs> you know, you, I mean, you just can't. Yeah. But I'd really kind of lost my spirit or my faith in in the twelve step stuff. Not the 12-step program, but the congregation. Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I spoke to this priest, uh, this Muruti, and what he said to me, he said, David, often priests get like this. They've been in their congregation for a long time and then they lose their faith. Yeah? And, but they can't tell the congregation because the congregation doesn't. Yeah. So what, what they do is they go on a pilgrimage. So I got this calling to go on a pilgrimage. So in 2012, uh, no, 2014, 2nd of January 2014, I went off to Soweto. I went to go live with the uh, Nope addicts. I said, guys, we're going to go and build a rehab here. And I took a Bible with me in the 12-step book. And uh, Ocean, she's a missionary. And uh, she, th she must have thought, who is this mad white guy? Uh, and, I, and I just had this this calling to do this stuff, you know, this and a very strong passion and desire. And Tia, my girlfriend, thought I was mad, <laughs> and I was mad. I am mad. I mean, like, 
you know, you're hearing a calling to go live in Soweto, to go and explore churches, to try and understand how come black African culture has such a strong spiritual sense to Christianity and you know, my white counterparts, it's just like Christmas is just a, you know, a, a, a ritual that has lost all its yeah. spirit. And so why would I go to a nice, fellowship yeah. meeting that lost all its spirit mm. for me, yes. you know? But I can't knock it. I mean, it's working for everyone else. You know, that's the... So I went off. Uh, Tia bought me a Bible, and I went off there. And the weird thing is, inside that Bible, there was a card. And that card was written in uh, 1920, 1918. Yeah? And it was, a, uh, it was obviously, it was a pledge that somebody had signed. They said, okay. I pledge not to drink alcohol. Oh my it was so weird. And the date on the card was uh, the 14th of November, which was the day after my original clean yeah. date, which is the 13th of November. So I'd start getting all these kind of messages. You know, that might be magical thinking. It might be me being going into psychosis. It might be, I don't really give a, Whatever Let's it was, pause. yeah, we can't say fuck by the way. Oh, cool. I really don't give a fuck what it is. I'm doing this, and there's nothing that's really stopping me. Yeah. So I was being driven by spirit, awesome. as opposed to spirits. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Big difference. Yeah, but but I mean, maybe it was like I don't really know. Mm. But the point is, it's not important. Well, well, it's it uh, is important to follow your calling. Yeah, but not not important to know why. Yeah, but, but it's it, but it like is. it's. Yeah. I mean, I came into recovery with with, with saying words that I don't I, I don't know where the words came from, and it's not okay. important where the words came from. It's important okay. that the words came. Okay. That's the for me that's the important thing. Okay. Yeah. So and how does Soweto work out for you? Well, we've uh, built the school, mm-hmm. this global school now. We go around and we train people in recovery coaching. Yeah. You know, so so that that. The academy, that is what you called it, am I yeah, correct? Yeah. That that is a, a result of your of your Soweto. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's all about like, yeah. you know, fuck. We're all in this together. We've got it. That's wonderful. Yeah. And, uh, and then living there, it just kind of really, I I learned naively. I mean, I went with all my kind of white male do good stuff. I'm on a mission from God. You know, like, how arrogant is that? And just to kind of realize how difficult it is to rise up from poverty. Because I had my own ideas of what we need to do, but mm. you know, it's so like as soon as you open the door, it's like, well, fuck, we've got to find food today. Yeah. You know? Or, you know, that, that we were driving somewhere and there was this woman walking holding a baby. It's like, gonna slow down, can we give her a lift to a clinic she's got a newborn baby with her uh, which was her neighbors because the husband had stabbed the mother and oh the baby need to get so oh. there's all this kind of trauma yeah. that lives in us that's was holding us back from wanting to run yeah. so so I've really had to adjust to the environment as opposed to let's project what yes this looks like for them yeah. and there and so to you know empower communities in a bottom-up approach amazing 
it's yeah, it really important. You, you you wouldn't have been able to do what you do if you didn't do the. Well, what the, it's the, the taught me. What it's taught me is you can do anything with nothing. Yeah. You just got to have the willingness. Yes. And a lot of people get caught in the trap of like, I can't do this because I haven't got the money. You know, just yeah. start something somewhere. Awesome. And I've always been like that. That's wonderful. So, yeah, and I don't know if that's something that I was born with or something that I like. And, and if other people are different, but, yeah. But it does drive me. That's wonderful. I am going to end right here. You have a wonderful bowl of what is that? By the way, we are sitting in a, a place called the Sushi Box and having this interview. So if you hear a lot of sounds, it's because Cliff Street is roaring past us. And it's actually lovely to be on a Saturday afternoon. And David's sitting with a bowl of something that took like hummus and avo and just very healthy it's stuff. It's a bowl special. It's seared it's salmon bowl. A seared salmon bowl in front of him. So I'm going to let him eat his food. And thank you so, so very no, much for, so for chatting much. to us. But thank you so very much. And no, please continue you. with your amazing work. Thank it's you. wonderful. And I'll put links to, to both the Foundation Clinic and the Academy in the intro to this so people can find you. Cool. Cool. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. Look after okay. yourself. Bye. This was a great chat. I really enjoyed hearing about David's unique road in recovery. But more than that, I'm very impressed with his amazing effort to give back to the recovery community. But even more than that, to create a recovery community or create recovery communities, that's truly amazing. I also like his take on measuring recovery in terms of personal growth and not on the amount of clean time. I think many of us use clean time measures to beat ourselves up instead of focusing on our spiritual journey. If you want to know more about what I do, please feel free to connect with me on my website, which is www.freddy.org.za, or find me on Facebook at either Meet Me in the Field, or Freddy Counselor, or on Twitter at, at RensburgFreddy, or Instagram at Freddy Counselor. Remember that Freddy is always spelt with an IE at the end. I want to thank David for his time and energy in talking to Meet Me in the Field. Thank you for listening. Be safe. Bye.